Hello, this is Robert Rickover. I'm an Alexander Technique teacher in Omaha, Nebraska, and my guest today is Imogen Ragone, uh, a teacher in Wilmington, Delaware. We both teach mainly online, and uh, we're going to have a little conversation today about the history of the Alexander Technique. And okay. has not been warned about the topic as per our usual arrangement, because in the interest of spontaneity. But let me, I'd like to start by asking you a question. When you I'm not first, having researched the topic. No, you, don't, well, you don't need to, you're not going to have to do any research to answer this question. Okay. When you first heard about the Alexander Technique, at some point, I'm sure the sort of backstory to how it originated popped up in your consciousness. Do you, could you, can you remember what your idea was about what Alexander did and how he did it at that point was to you? I mean, how did you view, what, what was your take on what he did and what was your take on yeah, just what was your take on what he, what, how he made his discovery? Let's put it that way. Um, so, I mean, it was the whole story about him standing in front of mirrors. At the time, I thought for years, I've now discovered it's maybe more something more like 18 months of his okay. key yeah. discovery period. Mm -hmm. But um, So using uh, mirrors, right? Using mirrors, um, okay. observing himself, uh, reciting or speaking as if he was performing um, and noticing these whole pattern in his neck and his whole body down to grip his feet gripping on the floor. Um, right. It's hard for me to remember exactly how I took it in right then because I've got so many more years of knowledge about it afterwards right um, and there's been, there's been a lot like of like, new developments that have yeah kind of changed. Um, but, but yeah but this seemed amazing you... that this guy took so long in front of the mirror right on his own um working so, this out. Yeah, what was your take on the guy in general at that point i mean what what, what did you think was he like a genius who also was very dedicated and spent all this time. How um, have you, how I guess you uh, maybe, I, I don't know if I used the word genius to myself, but it just seemed amazing that someone could be dedicated enough to spend this amount of time, be that kind of disciplined and committed. Right. And discovering. the amount of yeah. time back in the day was usually framed as like nine or 10 years. Yeah, well, this sounds like he's and, a decade. And he's got these mirrors, and he's sitting observing himself from various angles. And you and you wonder, did he ever take a break and go out to the pub and have a drink? Or, you know, I mean, it seems kind of like a, a, a gargantuan project that involved being very uh, intelligent and experimental, but also just totally dedicated to... Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was sort of my take on it and almost like a kind of a 
a genius in the rough, you know, no, mm -hmm. no formal education to speak of, but, you know, he, he, deep love of Shakespeare and all that mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, he was a very literate kind of guy, but he wasn't educated in the normal sense. He had mm -hmm. homeschooling, I think, mainly. Um, but yeah, just this amazing guy. And then later on, when I learned more about Tasmania at the time he was living there, I was thinking, not just amazing, but like given the dreadful environment of that, mm -hmm. of Tasmania, uh -huh. uh, you know, they just killed off pretty much all the Aboriginals. It, it was a nasty, brutish place. It was really not formally a penal colony, but it was kind of had a very strong penal quality aspect to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's this guy who comes out of that and, you know, becomes super famous in the wider British Empire and all, all on his own, like lone mm -hmm. genius, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think what's happened in the last number of years is we've kind of modified our view of what he did. And to, to the point where, yes, he did do some interesting self-experimenting, but it wasn't any nine or 10 years. It was more, as you say, more like a year and a half. The timeline. Which isn't, which isn't to say not he didn't anymore. continue to oh, absolutely. work on himself and discover right. things. But the, the time frame of the discover the key discoveries yeah was yeah right yeah and then there's the other kind of the timeline just didn't support that early earlier mm -hmm. thing yeah the man at the years up it doesn't make sense but the other thing is that um it's my thought i think a lot of people probably thought well here's this guy at the edge of the british empire uh, very, very little contact with anything that's going on in the wider world. This was my view at the time. Mm -hmm. And he comes up with this stuff all on his own. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But it turns out that that's not exactly what happened, mm -hmm. that he he was in a, a, a world of fellow performers, especially when he got to Sydney and then later to Melbourne, and that um, and we know that around 1900, 1901, somewhere in there, he's in Melbourne, and he, on his stationery, he says, I, he said, basically, I'm a teacher of Delsart method. Mm -hmm. Now, Delsart uh, was a French uh, guy, in a, a, a professor at the university, I think the uh, Academy of Music or the, some, some, the, the premier sort of institute of that kind of stuff in Paris. And he didn't write stuff very much. Uh, it turns out he did write, he did leave some notes behind, but he didn't write books or anything like that. And then the question was, well, how would Alexander have gotten to be a Delsart teacher? Mm -hmm. And now we know that uh, there is a much more direct connection than Alexander's younger brother, Camille, immigrated to Tasmania, which is not the typical. You mean Del Sartre's younger brother? Yeah, Del Sartre's yeah, yeah, younger yeah, brother, yeah. Camille, mm -hmm. who was trained in his method, um, showed up in Tasmania in 1851 and was teaching there and on the mainland of Australia and was quite well known in the artistic community. 
Mm -hmm. teaching for like 20 years or so then he retires back to Tasmania and this is all before Alexander he's still just a kid so Alexander mm -hmm. I'm sure never met Del Sartre but when he got to places like Sydney and Melbourne Del Sartre was in the air if you were mm -hmm. a performer and he wasn't Alexander wasn't just a reciter and actor he was a serious student of the violin not necessarily oh. to be a professional player, but if you read his autobiography, which covers up, to, it's like a the Michael Block. Hmm? No, Michael Alexander oh, wrote his own autobiography. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it ends um, before he goes to England, I think. As I remember. Oh, I see. Okay. But he talks about all these jobs that he's had. He gets these jobs in Sydney working for um, uh, some company. And um, he, he's always having problems because they're telling him he has to work at a time when he's got violin lessons. Right? And he's mm -hmm. upset about that. Because, and he, he'll threaten to quit if they don't let him... <laughs> <laughs> to his violin. Well, mm -hmm. So he was serious. He, you know, he was obviously in the music world to some extent. He was a he was a part of the performing community in Australia. Mm -hmm. And so um, the idea of using a mirror would would not have been such a shocking thing for him to do because mm -hmm. Del Sartre used mirrors all the time. That was a major yeah. part of his his teaching. Mm -hmm. So um now, Alexander did go on to add some stuff like directions. That was certainly not part of Del Sartre's teaching. And Alexander did a lot of good stuff on his own, but he also got a lot of help from, from else from outside. Yeah. And yeah. the reason why I think it's important to understand that is not to kind of tear make him seem like less of an innovative innovative guy but that to take away some of that aura of this amazing person doing things that nobody else could probably have ever done so that if you the person reading about the technique thinks oh, i'd like to maybe get learn some of this i gotta go to so I can't go to Alexander because he's mm -hmm. dead, but I want to go to someone that's gone through just tons of training in his method that, that has spent kind of that long period of time working mm -hmm. on themselves. And, mm -hmm. and the, 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 the kind of person that you're, they're working with this teacher is almost like I kind of, could be put on a pedestal like this is a person who's really done the work and just mm. and I you know just poor person with a back pain I just you know I, I got had that kind of might be tempted to have that kind of relationship with the mm. teacher and mm. the teacher might be tempted to have somewhat a similar thing in the opposite direction. I have spent three years on a training course, done postgraduate training, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, 
I mean, obviously you go to a teacher for help because they know some stuff that you don't know, or they can, they can show you some things, but they're not like super people. No, I do this work because I need it myself. You know, I, I, um, it's not because I am beautifully coordinated and at ease every moment of the day. Um, (laughs) You're not this perfect uh, exemplar of everything, Alexander, dealing with some poor, (laughs) some poor guy who's in pain or whatever, you know, who who knows nothing. It's not that way at all. And to, to even have a hint of that going on I'd say is pretty counterproductive to the technique's um, popularity and, you know, even, you know, people don't like to be told indirectly, however indirectly, that they're ignorant. And they're not ignorant in any case, you know, it's mm-hmm. there, but there's that there is a little aura of that that you find in the Alexander world. Not I wouldn't say it's everybody. I imagine it's a lot less now than it was back in the day, but mm-hmm. um, it's there. And I think it it would it's like it's a good thing to recognize. Yeah, Alexander did some good stuff, but he wasn't. He isn't like someone that will never show up again, you know. I, I confess here publicly that I have a pretty much love-hate dynamic with my opinion of Alexander. Of, of FM? Yeah, what, what, what's the love part and what's the hate part? Well, obviously, I've got such a lot of personal benefit right. from the work that he started or from based on our conversation or got out there more yeah Yeah. um but a lot of what i learn about him as a person i don't care for very much Mm -hmm. (laughs) and including the idea that you're talking about the kind of idea that he was the lone genius and i think it was may i may be wrong but it seemed like um he didn't kind of try and dispel that myth. No, he did not. And, and in um, fact, it's telling <laughs> that all his stationery in Melbourne says, teacher, you know, Del Sartre method. Well, mm-hmm. No mention of Del Sartre ever after he got to England. Mm-hmm. Del Sartre was French, maybe. <laughs> The, and the Brits didn't weren't crazy about the French, and Alexander wasn't crazy about anyone who wasn't British. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was sort of an equal opportunity disliker of other European countries, particularly Germany, mm-hmm. but but France as well, Italy. I mean, he he, he was yeah, an well, anglophone. Uh, anglophone. I mean, an and anglophone. this is part of what. I did. <laughs> bit that I, I don't like that about him <laughs> problem even though I am English so. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's funny because I'd be I'd be I'd love to hang out with him I, I wouldn't have a problem I mean I would see I think I would see the the unpleasant stuff but I wouldn't have I would still find him fascinating to to chat with sure sure but, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. 
anyway, I just thought it was worthwhile talking about that because it really is that kind of weird thing in the Alexander world that, you know, and, and it also, the other thing that maybe it sheds a little, maybe not so much sheds light on, but can gives you a different perspective. Uh, one of the problems the Alexander world is, is confronting right now is Alexander's racism. And uh, which I have to say, I exposed many years ago, like 30 years ago, I wrote a piece on that. And I got a lot of nasty comments. Why, why is that matter? You know, product of his time, blah, 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 which, you know, it was. And, but, you know, uh, it's important to know about that for sure. He was a flawed guy as a person. Yep. And um, he wasn't, I don't think he was a whole lot more flawed than most of the guys back then were, but you know, he wasn't an exceptionally flawed guy, but he was a flawed guy. Mm -hmm. And by today's standards, so some of his thinking does sound pretty awful. Well, then the question is, well, if you're basing your, your interest in the Alexander technique on this lone genius wonder, wonder Superman type guy, and then you discover he's got some pretty basic flaws in his own personality, does that destroy your uh, interest in his discoveries? Or do you just think, well, okay, he, he had some good ideas, but I can separate those out and disown them and still take advantage of what he did discover. I think that's where I am, more yeah. or less. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, just you describing the lone, the lone guy. Yeah. Um, and yes, it, it all came maybe from him originally, but it didn't because his work came he from into others. other stuff. But I'm thinking of what I learned and how I've learned different things from different teachers I've had and how that all, and different colleagues, you know, and, and students. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, and how that is all part of it. It's not just it's not just his work in isolation from anything else that's come since or before or in my own work and discoveries working right. with the principles, et cetera. So. Right. And, you know, it does seem to be a quality of people like Alexander or people who come up with discoveries. They often uh, don't are reluctant to acknowledge uh, people from whom they've learned. I used to be really irritated at Feldenkrais for writing these books and not at least with tons of footnotes in them and no reference to Alexander at all mm -hmm. when it was pretty clear that he knew about Alexander. We know he had lessons with, apparently with Walter and so on that I thought that was really kind of cheesy of Feldenkrais, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's really nothing compared to what Alexander did. He kind of disowned Del Sartre when he got there, mm -hmm, when it was mm -hmm. convenient to do so. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's just maybe a quality of 
people like that. Um, someone once said to me, um, thinking about how to how to think about Alexander, they they said, "Well, your mailman might be a creep, but you're not going to reject the mail." Mm. Right, and I think that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Um, I don't know. Do you like that analogy? It's not, not mine. I uh, yeah, well, it makes though. sense. It's kind of like don't yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's all I had to say. Do you have any more thoughts about this this historical <laughs> sort of the newer historical? Well, I actually, I think it's actually really helped me to humanize him, to have more context. And it doesn't feel like there's this pinnacle that mere mortals can't reach. That I actually, it helps me to, to have um, a better understanding of the context and the different influences and um, and to be comfortable with Alexander possibly having being, made some mistakes maybe uh, not just um, not having he had some mistaken views about race for sure uh, but um, maybe even some mistaken views about parts of his own discoveries like I, I personally think he, it was smart of him to come up with directions, but I think he didn't really come up with the very best directions. And that's not to blame him because it was new territory. He was the beginning of the process. But so, he was very yeah. frustrated with his students. And, and, and mm -hmm. some say, well, that led to this moment when he shows up one day at Ashley Place and says, you know, I don't have to do this direction stuff. I can just give it to get him to do it with my hands. Mm -hmm. uh, my my teacher on my training course, Paul Collins, when we he talked about that, he said mm -hmm. that was a that was a very he said almost the same thing uh, Bill Conable said uh, mentioned earlier in an earlier talk. He said that's kind of a dangerous moment in the history mm -hmm. of the technique. When mm -hmm. Alexander says, hey, I can just use my hands and get them where I want. And there's some instances in his book, there's an instance where some doctor calls him up and says, I got this patient, I don't know what to do with. Alexander hops in his in a cab and goes over there and zaps this guy and gets him to be just perfect, right? <laughs> and well, what's, what comes after that? I mean, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. So. All right. Well, if you don't have anything more to say, I think this would be a good place to, to stop. Um, yeah, my my uh, guest today has been Imogen Ragone, an Alexander teacher in Wilmington, Delaware. Imogen, thank you again, second time today, for agreeing to do this. <laughs> You're welcome. It's always interesting. <laughs>